We began a few weeks ago talking on this subject of focus out of, out of David's life. So would you take your Bibles today? We're going to continue on that in the book of 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. So would you get ready today? As you're doing that, let me say hello to our campuses today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries. We're glad you're with us today. I know great things have already happened in your service there, but we believe that as we go to the Word of God together, that God's going to speak to each of us through His Word, transform our life, and bring us into His image and into His likeness. Would you look there in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, the 11th chapter, and, and over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this whole aspect there of David. The first part of the, of the story that we begin to look at was when David was a boy, when he was anointed as king, uh, and how his life was transformed. We talked about that it was through focus that produced the things in his life. It was because he was focused, that he was disciplined. It was because of that discipline that brought promotion into his life, on and on. And so the first couple of weeks, that's what we spent time on. Last week, though, we kind of jumped ahead in the life of David, and we moved to that point in time in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel. And in that chapter, the Word of God tells us, basically, David lost it. He lost his focus. He got distracted. Uh, and the Scripture says it this way. It says, uh, in the time that, that kings go to battle, David stayed at home. And if you remember the story, while David's at home, he goes up on the rooftop, and as he's looking out, uh, he sees a beautiful woman there. Uh, he inquires about who she is, uh, and then he has her to come to him, uh, and the Bible lets us know that he commits adultery with her, and, and we begin to see what happened. And last week, we talked about that when you, when you get to that place that you're not focused, when you, when you get to that place where you lose focus, that, that four things, and I'm going to hit them real quick and then get into today's lesson, four things happen to you. Number one is you lose your priority. Priorities. David should have made the, the kingdom the priority. He should have made his family a priority. He should have made walking with God a priority. He lost every one of those. So you lose your priorities. Secondly, you begin to focus on the temporary. David began to look at what was right now, right here. David says, man, uh, she's hot and I want her. I'll do whatever I've got to to get your attention. All right, that's what he said. Now, I know King James dresses it up, but that's what he says. And so he begins to focus on the temporary. And, and then thirdly, you begin to pursue secondary objectives. Instead of David looking at that which was eternal, that which was necessary for his life, he begins to spend all of his time plotting and figuring it out. And so you begin uh, to go after secondary objectives. And then last, the last thing, and this is the one I want to kind of branch off of today, is that you become consumed with wrong things. Uh, David got consumed with this woman, uh, with his adulterous affair, uh, and out of that he, he began to experience some real heartache and some real problems. Now today we're going to kind of continue to move into this chapter. So would you look there, we're going to pick up in verse 5 where we left off last week, and I want to read down through verse number 9. So now would you get your Bible or, or your iPad or whatever you've got the Word of God on, let's read this together. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It says, the woman conceived and sent word to David. David saying, I'm pregnant. And David sent his word to Joab. He said, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now, this is Bathsheba's uh, husband. He said, and Joab sent, to David, sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Now, how many of you know David didn't care about any of those things? Right? If David had cared about those things, he'd been out there. David's just trying, trying to cover his backside like all of us. Are y'all ready? <laughs> Remember last week I told you to reach down on either side of your seat and put the seatbelt on? You might want to do that again. 
Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. In other words, get cleaned up. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. I mean, David is doing it, isn't he? But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace. So Uriah says, I'm not going home. I'm not going to sleep with my wife. And it says, with all his master servants, and did not go down to his house. Now, the, the Word of God lays out a process here that happens. Now, here's what I'm going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about when you lose focus. Today, I'm going to talk about the consequences of losing focus. Now, again, this one's kind of going to get in our business a little bit, uh, and we're going to kind of dig up some things. Here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about sowing and reaping. The, the Word of the Lord says that as long as the earth remains, that there will be seed, time, and harvest. God goes on to say in the New Testament that whatsoever a man soweth, what? That shall he also reap. Whatever I sow, that thing I'm also going to reap. Now, here's what we need to understand this morning, and I want you to hear carefully what I'm going to say. Our choices are not made in a moral or a spiritual vacuum. When we make a choice, it doesn't matter. Now, today I'm going to focus on spiritual things, but this sermon I'm going to preach to you today can be translated to your business. It can be translated to your marriage, to your family, to every aspect of your life. When we begin to talk about losing focus and the consequences that come, it is across the board in everything in our life, not just in spiritual dynamics. But hear me carefully. When you make a decision... You don't just do that in some kind of moral place that nothing's going to happen. Anytime you make a decision, it has spiritual ramifications and it has moral ramifications. Now, here's what I want to share with you today. If you're God's child, how many of you are God's child? Come on, hold your hand up if you're God's child. If you are God's child today, what you have to come to an understanding is, is that not only is God trying to direct your paths, but the devil's trying to direct you as well. That, that if I'm a child of God, the devil doesn't just go say, well, that's one that's out, I, they're God's child. Now, no, the devil shows up, and he begins to talk to you, he begins to speak to you. In, in fact, I, I would dare say, uh, let me ask a question real quickly, another question, I'm going to make you raise your hand one more time, then maybe not again, but maybe four or five times, who knows. Uh, how many of you today drove to church with some family members? Would you hold your hand up? Have you ever noticed that driving to church with family members, the devil gets in the car? Come on. Come on, right? You, you know I'm telling the truth. I, I mean, I, I thought it was part of the, the, the Sunday ritual that you're supposed to fight with your wife and kids on the way to church. I mean, it, it's so bad, and it got so bad in my family, I, got, I come to church with myself. Now, I don't ride with nobody. Just me and Jesus come to church together, all right? Uh, I mean, I come real early. That's part of it. But, you, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's part of that routine. We get in the car, slam the door, and, and you, you, you know, hit drive. And before you get out of the driveway good, one of the kids lost their shoe or, you know, somebody doesn't have, and, and dad's fuming, right? And so you finally get everybody in, got all their clothes on, you hope, and you head to church. And, and on the way to church, the kids are fighting in the back seat. And, and the famous last words of any dad are, if y'all don't stop that, I'm going to stop this car and I'm going to wear you out. Now, every kid, come on, every kid knows that that's not true because dads are on a mission. We have an ETA, and we got to get there. We are not going to stop for bathroom breaks. We are not going to stop for, for deer crossing. We are not stopping for red lights most time because we got to get there. That kid in the back seat knows that, so you might as well quit telling them that. But if you grew up in a family like I did, they'd do this. 
right? Come on, some of you know that one, you know, kind of reaching back there. And it, you could always, especially in those big old cars back in the day, man, you could slide out of the way. They couldn't hit you if they tried with a stick, <laughs> right? But, but that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the deal is that we, we, we kind of find ourselves that the enemy shows up. We're trying to do good. We're trying to go to church. We're trying to be holy. The enemy shows up, and that's the way he operates. Now, the, the issue is, is that when I make those decisions and when I lose focus and get sidetracked, that some things begin to happen. And I want to talk about the consequences out of David's life today, and I think that they're appropriate in all of our lives as well because I think the same thing happens to us. Verse 5 uh, is where we started with today. Verse 5 says, the woman conceived, and she said to David, I'm pregnant. All right? The first thing that happens when you make the wrong choice, when you lose your focus, and again, I'm talking from a spiritual perspective, but this can be in any area of your life. When you lose focus, here's the consequence. It produces illegitimate life she says to David David says man we just you know I just want to have a good time why y'all look at me like that that's all David cared about David David didn't want any more kids he wasn't trying to look for a new wife David just he's just wanting a few nights of fun and and all of a sudden she she you know if she had a cell phone she texted him she called him up she sent word however she said Hey, you know those fun nights? Guess what? I'm pregnant. Now, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. No matter what happens in our lives, every time we make a decision, every time we make a choice, life is produced. Think about it. We, we say, no, it's, I'm just going to do this and it doesn't matter. No, no, no. There's life that comes in. That, that's why it's so needful for us to understand, especially in, in moral and spiritual things, that those decisions that we make in the moment are birthing life into things that are going to live out. You, you know what? The, the, the first time that, that somebody goes out as a teenager and, and somebody throws a pack of cigarettes in the back seat, nobody at that point says, I want to get cancer of the lung and, and have to experience chemotherapy uh, for five years of my life and then die a haggard person. But you know what? I, I don't want to mess with you too much, but that's what happens. The cigarette winds up in the back seat, it goes into the mouth, the lighters flick, and a life starts. Amen? Come on. The first beer that's drunk, nobody says, I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody says, I want to waste my money, my time, my effort on this. But guess what? Life happens. Every time we make the wrong choice, every time we do that which we shouldn't do, life comes into it. And it doesn't matter where you make that choice. Anything in life that you do has the potential to come alive in your life. It kind of reminds me of those old Frankenstein movies. It's alive, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's that, that whole aspect there is that we, we just thought we were creating something, but what we just created was we created a monster that we're going to have to live with. And so she sends David a message, hey, by the way, life has happened. The second thing is found in verse 6 through 9, and I won't read it, but I'll just remind you of it. At that point, David says, okay, i got to get out of this mess. He says, send for Uriah, her husband. He said, bring her back. He said, what I'll do is, he's like all of us, he said, what I'll do is I'll just cover it up. He said, I'll, I'll get him to go home, and uh, I'll get him to sleep with her, and then she'll get pregnant, and, or he'll think that she got pregnant by him, and it'll all be covered up. 
And so that's what he does. He calls Uriah back. Now, have you ever read the scripture and then said, you know, I ought to slow down and read this again? All right? So in preparation for this series, I read these scriptures and I said, you know what? I need to slow way down and read this again. And what I found was is that as you read this, David makes this statement. Remember in the first part of, of this chapter, David says, who's this woman? And they come back to him and they said, number one, David's playing a game. He knew who this woman was, I believe. They come back to him and they said, it's Eliam's daughter and it's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Well, now let me help you for a second. There's a guy, and I'm not, I don't want to get too deep, but I want this, there's a reason for this. There's a guy named Ahithophel. That can be your next kid's name. <laughs> All of you who are pregnant, that's a good name. Ahithophel is David's main counselor. He's before David every day. He, he's the guy who gives David wisdom. He gives David understanding about uh, state affairs and whatever. And so he, he's there. Well, now watch this. Ahithophel is Eliam's dad who is Bathsheba's dad. So Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. And he's in David's court every day. Don't tell me David didn't know who this woman was. But it gets worse. Not only that, Uriah the Hittite, that sounds like, well, that's just a guy and he's in the army and David got, has tens of thousands of warriors. He doesn't know this guy. Have you ever read in Scripture where it talks about David's mighty men of valor? Ever read that? And watch. There, there are three of them that are listed and then there's a fourth one kind of falls in there. And then right in that line, in the last part of 2 Samuel, it, it says, and there are 30 mighty men. As you begin to read those 30 mighty men, and there's, follow me, don't miss it. As you begin to read those 30 mighty men, the last name is Uriah the Hittite. Now, wait a minute. David, you can sleep with anybody you want to. This guy has had your back. This guy has been in your corner. This guy has stood shoulder to shoulder. Some of you have been in the military, and you know that when you're in a firefight, the guys who are with you are the most important people on earth. This guy has been there for David, and yet David, even though they told him it's Uriah's wife, he knows that, he still goes ahead and does what he wants to do. See, secondly, here's what happens when you make a wrong choice. It produces deception. You get deceived. You begin to think that. I mean, have you ever talked to people and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard? Come on, you know you have. I mean, they'll tell you. They'll tell you stuff, and it's, the, it's just goofy how dumb it is. I mean, it's just, just st stupid. <laughs> I, I, and it's because they're in deception. They're, they're in this way. David, if you were to ask David a day or two before, hey, David, you're going to mess up. You're going you're gonna to do those. David says, oh, man, no, I'm, I'm, this is Uriah. He's my man. I wouldn't dare mess up his family. But now he's in such a mess that he's totally deceived. So number one is, is that you find yourself where, where it produces illegitimate life. Number two is you, it, it produces deception. Number three is found in verse 12. When, when Uriah didn't go home and sleep with his wife, here's what David says to him in verse 12. Then David said to him, stay here one more day. He's saying, if, if you'll hang out here one more day, then maybe what will happen is, is that you'll, you'll say, well, I'm going to go in and, I, and I'll cover it up. Here's the third thing that it does. Get this, write it down. The third thing that anytime you make the wrong decision and you lose your focus is that it produces stagnation. 
Stay here. Come on, everybody listen to me. Stay here is, is what, what he's saying. And, and, and that's what happens in your life. When, when you're going through those processes, when you're going through those things, what you find is, is that there's this moment that when you've lost... In fact, let me say it this way. When I find people whose, whose walk with God is stagnant, when I find people whose business is stagnant, when I find people whose marriage or their family is stagnant, I will tell you they are people who have lost focus. Because losing your focus, losing that laser-like thing that you're supposed to be doing brings stagnation. And it's kind of like, okay, we're just doing the same thing the same way instead of understanding. If, if David becomes the man God wants him to, he's not going to be in this place. But now it's producing stagnation. The, the fourth thing that it does is found in verse 15. And, and now he sends a letter to Joab, the commander of the battle. And in that letter, here's what he said, put Uriah out front in the fiercest part of the battle, and when the battle gets so intense, pull back and basically let him be struck down and die. So now we've, we've, we've gone. Man, we've, we've gone from lust to sin to death. And that's what Scripture says always happens. The last thing that it does is it produces death. It produces death in relationships. It produces death in bodies. It produces death in your walk with God. It just brings about death. Now, here, here's, here's what I want to help you with. Now, I promise you, we're going to get David saved again next week. All of you have been worried about that, I can tell, all right? We're going to get him saved again next week, all right? But we're going to look at his life this week. See, here's what happens is after Uriah dies, then David brings Bathsheba in, and man, everything, oh, it's cool, woo! Everybody has a baby, the whole nation rejoices. We've got a new baby. It's wonderful. It's great. Nobody says anything until a little old prophet shows up. I'm going to tell you, when those prophets show up, they have a way of getting your attention. Nathan walks in. Here's what Nathan says. Nathan says, i got a story to tell. David loves stories. Tell me a story, man. Let me know. And so, uh, so Nathan says, well, he said there was a guy who was a shepherd. He had one sheep. Now, that got David's attention because David's what? He's a shepherd king, right? Got the, got his, he had one, one, one sheep, and he said, but there was this guy who lived next to him. He was a great landowner, had hundreds and thousands of sheep. And said, but one day, this great landowner had, had somebody come home to visit and said he was getting ready to prepare a meal for him and said, you know what he did? He didn't go out to his thousands of sheep. He went next door to that little sheep that that guy had, and he took it, and he cut its throat, and he slayed it, and he fed it, to the guy who came to visit. And David gets ticked. I mean, David said, who is it? Isn't it interesting? Everybody listen carefully. Isn't it interesting how we can get such righteous indignation about somebody else's sin? Come on, David. You've, uh, you've committed adultery. You've killed a guy. And now you move the woman into the palace, but you're getting ticked off because somebody stole a sheep. And David says, I'll deal with that. Bring him here. I'll take him out. Now, Nathan had to be a real man of God at this point because the king can have you killed. All he's got to do is say, take him out and kill him. That's it. And he looks at him and he said, who? And David said, who is it? And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. You're the man. At that point, Nathan begins to pronounce the judgment of God upon David and his, and his descendants. He begins to tell him what's going to happen. He said, the baby's going to die. And said, the sword's never going to depart from your house, David. He said, you're going to experience great things. 
Now, we love Psalm 51. Creating me a clean heart, renew within me a right spirit. All that great thing that David prayed as he called out to God during this moment. And again, David gets right with God. We understand that. But I want to tell you, there are great consequences because of David's actions. First of all, the baby dies. It's a judgment of God. You can do with that whatever you want to in your New Testament theology. But God says clearly that baby is going to die as a judgment from me. But you begin to read about David's family. See, here's our deal. We think that we can commit adultery. We think we can commit fornication. We think we can, we can live a lifestyle of perversion. We think we can do whatever we want to. We think we can act any way we want to. We can live any way we want to. And nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know what you do at midnight on the Internet. Nobody's going to know what you do when you're in a hotel by yourself. Nobody's going nobody's to know those things. And you know what? They may not. But if you sold to the flesh... The Bible says you're going to reap a whirlwind. David has a son named Amnon. David has a daughter named Tamar. Amnon, his half-sister, he becomes so lustful for her that he takes her and in a moment he rapes her. David never deals with it. David never says anything. So Absalom, one of David's other sons, says, I'll handle this. That's my sister. And so, so Absalom takes and he kills his own brother. And then he runs away and two or three years later he comes back. And for two years the Bible says David doesn't speak to Absalom. So Absalom starts sitting at the gates and he says, man, if I were the king, if I was the man. And everybody, the Bible says their heart, the heart of the people were turned to Absalom. And Absalom in rebellion takes the kingdom away from David. In fact, Absalom tries to kill his own father. consequences oh it was just a a fling it was just a momentary lapse it was it was just it was just this first thing it was just, no 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 life came consequences so Absalom rules for a season and then and then there's a battle in which uh, David says to his great men of battle to Joab who's the leader of his command he, he says when you find Absalom don't kill him David still has this thing about confrontation. He's not willing to deal with his own son's sin. But Joab finds Absalom. The Bible says Absalom had beautiful long hair and, and that as he's riding one day he gets caught in the branches and he's hanging there. And, and Joab, the commander of the army, finds him and he pierces him through and kills him because he knew that inside of Absalom there was a heart of rebellion and it was never, ever going to change. And he knew if he didn't kill him, that David was going to continue to experience this over and over again. And so he killed him. We look at that and we say how horrible that is. And, and even as you look at finally Solomon uh, becomes king, but, but even there there's a, there's a whole process where there has to be a, a, an eradication of other family. I mean, it's, it's a horrible mess. You say, but pastor, we're in the New Testament. I know that. Aren't you glad? See, every sin I commit is forgiven in Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. I, I every day quote the scripture that says his mercies are new every morning because I need them. But you know what? When you look at sin, understand this. There is no sin that is ever right or good and it always has consequences. 
Let, let me illustrate it this way. You, you, you say, well, uh, you know, I got forgiven. I understand that. Let, let's, let's use this word picture for a moment. Let, let's say I gave you uh, a two-by-four that's three feet long, and I said every time you commit a sin, drive a nail in it. So, man, uh, you know, for a lot of us, by the end of the week, it's full. <laughs> we, we do. And, and I say, okay, bring it to me, and I'm going to absolve you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what Jesus does. I'm going to forgive you. So I'm going to take out every nail. Every one of the nails are gone. But how many of you know there's scars still there? How many of you know that that board is not whole? There's scars on that board. In our lives, we get forgiveness. I, I'm thankful for that. I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I know that God forgives us. All I've got to do is say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've got to confess it. And the Bible says he's just and faithful to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I know that. But I also know I carry the scars. I preached a series to you probably a year or so back now called Guardrails. And I talked to you in that series about how that guardrails are not placed at the point of danger, that guardrails are placed right inside the point of danger. And how that there are some things, I'm called old-fashioned. In fact, that preacher down there, he's old school. He, he wants people not to do things, and he wants them to live certain ways, and that's just really old-fashioned. we got grace, and we've got forgiveness and mercy. I understand that. But I also understand sometimes we don't need to open a door. Because when I open a door to sin, I spend the rest of my life trying to close it. Listen to what pastor's going to say. Teenagers, listen to pastor. Young adults, listen to pastor. I am so concerned about the doors that are being opened through the media at this point that generations before never had to experience that your kids are experiencing things, listen to me, teenagers, you're experiencing things and you're having things happen at 10 and 12 years of age that some of us didn't know until we were in our 20s. And I'm going to tell you, you open the door to it, you're going to fight it the rest of your life. God forgives. There's mercy. There's grace. I'm not telling you there's not, but I am telling you there is consequences there are consequences that come into your life you know one, one of the aspects that happens to us is, is that we lose opportunities to serve in God's kingdom am I saved I'm saved I didn't get up this morning going am I still saved I'm saved but you know what happens I get under condemnation I get under guilt there's the lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and and what God's trying to get me to do I don't do simply because of what I'm going through and you know what it does? It creates this pattern for bad decisions. So I make this bad decision. Now I make this bad decision. Now I make this bad decision. That's what happens in our lives. And then we struggle with the sin from that moment on. Now, how, how do I come to that place to move on? How, how do I get to that place where that I can begin to live the way God wants me to. I'm going to close with two things real quickly. Number one is take a spiritual inventory. What do I mean by that? Remember several weeks ago, a few months back now, I talked about RPMs. And I know I wasn't talking about your car. Here's, here's what I talked about, is that every day you need to read the Bible, you need to pray, and you need to meditate. RPMs. Read the Word. And here's what I ask people to do. Five minutes a day for each of those. Take five minutes and read the Word of God. 
Take five minutes and pray. Take five minutes and meditate on what you just read and what you just prayed. Now, I'm hoping that that's going to expand. I'm hoping that that's going to grow. But if you'd start with five, at least we've got a start. So, how am I doing in my Bible reading? How am I doing in my prayer? How am I doing in my meditation? Take a spiritual inventory. Secondly, take a personal inventory. So, what do you mean by that? What, what are your dreams? Are you still dreaming? Are you still believing for great and powerful things? Are you still believing that there is something that God wants to do in your life? Do you still have some dreams? L look at your health. What kind of shape is your health in? I mean, are you, are you living at such a fast pace or are you doing so many things to your body that, that are so destructive that you can't live the way God wants you to live? And lastly in that, how are your relationships? Number one is, do you have the right kind of people in your life? Who, who are the people that you hang out with? Do they build you up or do they tear you down? Do they strengthen you? Or do they pull you away from the thing God wants in your life? You and I have got to make that choice. Has your relationship with your family, your spouse, your kids, on and on and on. We've got to come to that place where we understand that our lives and the decisions that we make are important. And how we live our life is going to have consequences. Day in, day out, there are going to be consequences for what we've done. So my challenge to you today is this. Everything you do in life, understand when you choose it, there are consequences. When you decide it, there's life. And you've got to know that God has great things for you, but a lot of us are still struggling with the consequences of yesterday, and we've got to get past those and move into the victory of today.